Good morning. How are we doing? It is good to see everybody, and I'm so thankful. Jody and I love coming here. This is one of our favorite places to come. I'm not just saying that. DJ is being so modest and so kind. We have known each other now for, it's 20 years. I mean, this is crazy. And he does look incredibly old <laughs> compared to me. But seriously, though, in all fairness, and I do not use any product that changes the color of my hair. Now, DJ, on the other hand, let's just, I don't know, he's trying. But seriously, though, we've known each other for 20 years, our families, um, you know, DJ and Jen, and um, his parents, the McKees, so thankful for them. And they actually helped us get started with our church, and it was 17 years ago. So many may not realize it, but the truth be known... Um, a lot of the people that helped start this church in the early days really came from helping start our church. And so there's a lot of connection that we have together that you may not realize over the years, and it's really, really great to be here. So let's do this. Let's start by giving it up for Gray and our worship team. Awesome job this morning. Did they do a great job? Let's thank this. Let's thank um, those who are working the children's ministry. Let's give them a praise because, man, I'm telling you. Whoever does children's ministry in July, we need to give them a reward. Are you hearing me? And let's praise God for your pastor. I mean, he is such a great man. I've been able to get a chance to meet him over the last year, get to know him. I call him friend, uh, Johnny, and his wife, Lori. Um, they have been phenomenal. Um, we were here last year doing a little marriage conference, and I spoke here. And since then, we've become great friends. And, uh, man, I just love him, and he's doing a great job. Let's, even though he's not here, Give a round of applause for the pastor and his unbelievable wife. Good things are happening here at Winston-Salem. I'm just really, really excited about what God is doing here. So let's begin. Think to yourself for a moment, just think to yourself about some of the greatest comebacks that you're aware of. Some of the comeback stories that maybe you know that have influenced you, that have inspired you. As I think of that question, I think first in the world of politics, and being from Illinois area, I think of Abe Lincoln. And many people don't realize it, but Abe Lincoln was a comeback story. In 1858, what happened is he actually lost the Senate seat, and his political career, they said it was over, they said it was dead, they said he was done. He came back in 1860, only two years later, to win the Republican presidential nomination. And let's just think for a moment, where would we be without Abe Lincoln? His comeback story is incredible. In the world of business, I think of Steve Jobs. I think of um, Apple and what they did in the 80s. I mean, here's the founder, and as a founder of a church, and you know, you get things going, and you give, and you sacrifice more than, than anybody could ever believe, the board of directors fires him. They're like, you know, this isn't working, this isn't going good, this isn't the way we want to go, the direction we want to be. He leaves, goes, does some other things. They beg him to come back in 1997. He's there till the end of his life, short life, which does what? And just, I mean, he changes the way that we operate today. I mean, the technological advancements and improvements that he was a part of, I mean, where would we be without that comeback story for Apple? I think of the world of sports. I'm a huge sports fan. Let's just zero in on baseball for a minute. For I live in Chicago, and, you know, we like the Northsiders. And can you believe that they're down 
They're down 3-1 to one to the Cleveland Indians of all teams. But it doesn't stop there in the World Series. And they come back and they give Chicago what it's been waiting for for so many years. And they win the World Championship. Now, we need a comeback story for those Carolina Panthers. Anybody with me? 2003 is a long time ago. So, I mean, if they'd done any, like, like we need a little bit of comeback story. But whatever it is, if you think of movies, I don't know what yours is. Maybe it's Rocky. Maybe it's Rudy. Maybe it's the Hoosiers. I'm a basketball guy, so for me, that's the one. Maybe it's Tin Cup. We won't go there. If you don't know that movie, that's probably good. Everybody. Say everybody. Everybody loves a comeback story. Now, say it like you believe it. Everybody, don't they? I mean, every single one of us, we, we just love to see a comeback story. We, lo we love to hear about it. We, we get inspired by it. I came all the way here from the western suburbs of Chicago to tell you this. Not only does everyone love a comeback story, but God does too. Especially God. God's the author. God's the writer. God's the one that's cheering on the sidelines. God's rooting unbelievable. He wants a comeback for his people, for his kids, for his church. God loves comeback stories. That's what I want to talk to you about. If you have a Bible, go ahead and do this. Open it up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. You can just listen along as I'll read the text to us. Title of the message is simply this, Comeback Faith. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about comeback faith, and we're going to look at a guy who many may be familiar with, but you may not understand and comprehend the amount of times that he has come back. We're going to examine a guy who came back and came back and came back, and we want to look at the principles of what was going on in his life to apply it to us, because I believe that some of us are here today, and we need a comeback. And maybe you're saying, well, that's not me. Well, that's okay, and that's good. But I bet you know somebody who needs a comeback. Anybody? I, I know somebody who needs a comeback. And how can I be used of God with the principles of his word to do this, to help God do what he wants to accomplish? So look with me at Luke chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to jump right into the text. It says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, no confusion, the hymn is Jesus. What are they there to hear? It says to hear the word of God. Let's, stand, let's just stop for a moment right there. Look up for a minute. Crowds are coming. Crowds are pressing in. Why? Because Jesus is talking about God's word. He is God's word incarnate. We know that. They didn't fully realize that. But God's word always draws a crowd. Can I get an amen? It, it does. I mean, and the people were coming to hear what God has to say. Just like you came today, not to hear from me. You don't come here to hear from Pastor Johnny, although he does a great job. You come to hear from God. And so we see that all the way back to the beginning. But let's continue. Look with me at verse 2. And it says this. They were standing by the lake of uh, Gennesaret. That's just um, Sea of Galilee. Verse 2 says, he saw two boats, Jesus did, by the lake. But the fishermen, catch this, they had gone out of them. And they were doing this. They were doing the normal thing. They were washing their nets. And so getting into one of the boats, catch this, Jesus gets into the boat, which was Simon's Peter's. He asked him to put it out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So great picture, Jesus is on the water, people are gathered on the shore, they're listening to the word of God. And when he had finished speaking, awesome sermon I'm sure, much better than the one you're going to hear today, really good, he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And look what Simon says. Master, 
I just got to be honest with you. We toiled all night and took nothing. Okay, I had to, I got to be honest, but he did. We toiled all night, we, we took nothing. But at your word, underline that phrase, we're going to come back to it. That is so important to a comeback. At your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, look at the blessing. They enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats, hey, guys, come on over and help us, because the boats were being filled. And so the, the boats began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee. You see who else was there? Take a notice. They were partners with Simon Peter. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. Let me repeat again. They left everything and followed him. Let's bow our heads. Father, thanks for every single person that's in um, this house, in this place today. I appreciate so much of what you're doing here in Winston-Salem, Lord. You're at work. You're in work in individual lives. You're at work in this church. Um, you're doing what we cannot. I confess to you now, Lord, I need you desperately. I can't bring anything to the table. I need your spirit to speak. Would you use your word to communicate to your people? Lord, would you help us to experience and to help others, I ask in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, go ahead and say amen. If you're a note taker, go ahead and write this down. It's obvious, but let's just state it. Everyone needs a comeback. Every single person, at one time or another, we all need a comeback. Everyone needs a comeback, so just get this. You gotta know it. Like, we have to know that this isn't a message for just someone else. This is a message for us. Some of us are standing on the other side of the comeback story. We're like, oh, man, that was unbelievable. Others are looking forward. You're th I need it again. We all, everyone needs a comeback. This is the point I want you to catch. No matter how long you've been reading the Bible, no matter how many times you've seen this story, no matter what you know about the scriptures, Luke chapter 5, this isn't the first time Peter met Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. Chronological study of the Bible, of the New Testament, reveals this isn't the first time, it's not the second time. Let me explain. If you're a note taker, write down John chapter 1, because what happens there is that's the first time that Jesus met Simon Peter, and they had a cup of coffee or something, they went to the local Starbucks, I'm not sure, it was a quick meeting. His brother, Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, introduced them it was a little meeting. It didn't result in much. Second meeting, Matthew chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. Second time that Simon Peter met Jesus. This is important. Lays the foundation backdrop of what we're talking about. You'll see the context of this message. This happened, and you're all familiar. Many of us, as, Bible, as we read the Bible, we're familiar with what happened then. Jesus looked at him and said, follow me, and I will make you right. And then what the text says in Matthew chapter 4 is they left everything. They just dropped it all. And we're like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? In the middle of their job, and they, like, they just left everything all at once. They're adults. I mean, this isn't some kid at Sunday school. And then they just followed Jesus. What did the parents think? What did everybody... it, it's unbelievable. That was 12 months ago to Luke chapter 5. So they followed Jesus for at least 12 months. Now, what's the significance of that? I can feel it. I mean, the significance is that guess what Simon Peter must have done? 
I must deduce then, if he followed him in Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 5 is 12 months later, that guess what? The disciple who said, I will follow you wherever you go. The disciple, think of Peter. I mean, he's boisterous. He's the take charge. He's the type A leader. He's the one that take no prisoners. He's the guy that's going to speak up even if you don't want him to. He will speak up. Oh gosh, I can't believe he said that. Oh my gosh, I can't believe he's doing that. He quit, guys. He threw in the towel. He looked at Jesus after following for over a year and said, forget this. I don't want any more of this. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a bit of comfort. Does it give you some? I mean, what were the reasons why he bailed? Well, I've been doing this now for some time, and I think all of us could agree that we know somebody who has bailed. We've been in the place where we've thought about it or done it. I see five reasons why people do this. Well, I like to call it this discipleship departure. And so why people oftentimes throw in the towel or quit for a season or take a long extended break that shouldn't be that long. Five Ds of discipleship departure. We got them on the board. Let's put the first one up. It's this. It's doubt. So think with me for a moment. The doubt that comes in, I mean, is Jesus really God? Is, is the Bible really true? Is this really reliable? I mean, what I learned from a kid, is this something that really, like all, like our kids, I've got three girls, and through the high school days, and, um, you know, a couple of them are in college now, and, and they've all had doubts. They've had to make the faith their own. Interesting verses. Go ahead and write down John chapter 6, verse 60, and I, I think, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. It says this, and when they saw him, Jesus, they worshiped him. Now, Matthew chapter 28, let me paint the context. This is after Jesus rose from the grave. This is Jesus standing on the mountaintop with the scars in his hands from being nailed. This is the resurrected Jesus. He's got his disciples and some others with him. They see him, and I mean, he's standing there in resurrected form. Imagine looking at him, and eye to eye, like, look at, oh my gosh. This is the context. Matthew 28, this is before he gives the great commission, it's called. Go, therefore, and make disciples, and, and, and baptize people, and teach. And lo, I'll be whole with you all the time. Before he says all that, he's standing there. People are watching him. They're experiencing him. They're listening to him. And the text says, when they saw him, Jesus, they worshiped him. Great, just like we did today. But he wasn't here physically. But he's here spiritually. He's in the house. But then look what the end of the text says. But some doubted. I mean, they doubted when he was standing there? I mean, how many would say, hey, if I saw the resurrected Jesus came into the house and was preaching here at Winston-Salem this weekend, yep, it'd be filled a little bit more. But how many of us would we say we doubt? Like, everyone has doubt. So that's the first thing about discipleship departure is that, what, reason number one is people doubt. Reason number two, let me ask for a show of hands, how many would embrace the truth that the Christian life is hard? Oh, I think every hand should be going up. It is. Second D is difficulty. 
Hey, I didn't sign up for this, man. I, don't, I didn't really think. I thought when I become a Christian that all the problems are supposed to go away. And Jody and I became Christians at age 27. Same time, same minute, same prayer, same everything. And, and we walked out of that meeting. I'll never forget it. And we just thought, man, every, I can't believe this. I feel the forgiveness and the weight off me. And, man, I finally understand. But I know God and Jesus and, and didn't have it all figured out. But we thought, man, all our problems are solved. Like, there's no other issues. We'll never have an argument. And... Yes, right. We had one on the way over this morning. You're right. And I think you guys did too. No, I'm saying. But, but in our minds, we thought, man, this is the answer to all the problems. And it is, but that still doesn't mean there's not going to be conflict and there's not going to be difficulty. And now I want to get to John chapter 6, which is an unbelievable verse, verse 60. I think we have it. Let's put it up on the board if we have that. And it says this, when many of the disciples heard it, the truth that Jesus was saying, They said, man, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? And then look at John chapter 6, verse, put it on the board, please, verse 66. Now, just stop for a moment. That's just not a good number, 666. Do we agree? That's not good. But this isn't a good word, verse. After this, many of his disciples, they turned back, and they no longer walked with him. Why? Because what he was calling them to do in the bar he was asking them to jump over, it was high. Because what we believe and what the Bible says, it runs counterculture. And, and it forces many people to do what? Many people depart because of doubt, because of difficulty, because of, next word, disappointment. Or could I say discouragement? And so we get discouraged. You know what the truth is, honestly? I mean, I've, the church, there's just too much friendly fire in the church. Do you know what I mean by that? Like we're firing at each other, man. I know pagans, okay, I know non-Christians who have a better understanding of grace than some Christians do. Can I get an amen? And, And we shoot each other and we wound each other. Let me just go on record as saying this. There's no perfect church because there's no perfect people. Now, there are a couple perfect pastors. I'm not one of them. Neither is yours. And We know there isn't. There's going to be disappointment. And, and we're going to disappoint you. And leadership is. And trouble is going to come. And conflict is going to rise. It's part of life because of Genesis chapter 3. The fall of mankind. We all don't see the things the same way. We all bring our baggage and our past. There's disappointment in the church. And many people do this. It causes them to leave and, dis- and discipleship departure. Fourth thing is this, quickly, disillusionment. Is this it? Like, man, we helped start this church, and is it, like, this is it? Disillusionment, it, it, it happened. Fifth thing is simply this, last thing, and this is the one that hurts me deeply because I think God wants to overcome this the greatest. It's defeat. And by what I mean by defeat is you're sitting here thinking, if you knew what I did, I, because I have this, fill in the blank, in my past, because I did this yesterday, you feel like God can't use you. God has left, you, left the building. He's not for you. A certain sin, a certain area of struggle for you, it's defeat. I, I can't, I'll never get over this. I, I just can't do it. Let me say this. Your past may be an obstacle to you. It may be an obstacle to some other people, but it is never, I repeat, never an obstacle to God. Think what I'm saying. 
your past, your failure, your difficulty, your sin. It may be an obstacle to you. It may be an obstacle to some other people. It may be an obstacle to some pastoral staff or some other people, but it is never, I repeat, never an obstacle to God. Why? Because of the comebacks. That's what we're going to see. So which one did Peter struggle with? I don't know. But I know this. I know that times are the same, that there's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of disillusionment. And there is a lot of defeat for us as individuals. So what do we do? Well, second thing is this. If you're a note taker, write this down. My comeback begins with obedience. My comeback begins with obedience. It always starts here, so just make the decision today, start it. Make the decision to help someone else start it. Always begin. I wish I had a different message. I wish I didn't say it was all about obedience, but that's what we see in the text, and that's how we ignite the comeback that God wants for you. Look at verse 4 with me. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus says this in verse 4, so they're out all night, they're caught nothing, they're listening to Jesus preach, Peter is there, Simon Peter, Jesus looks at him and says, he's sitting in the boat with him, put out to the deep and let down your nets for a catch, let's stop for a moment, Peter is a professional fisherman, he's on the cover of field and stream, are you hearing me? I mean, this guy, he knows what's going on. Like, Jesus is a carpenter's son. He's like, hey, you stay in the workshop, Geppetto, and I'll do what I need to do on the sea. He could have said that. He was probably, with his attitude, thinking that. But, but he didn't do it. And, and Jesus told him, put out the net. Put it down. Now, what must he have been thinking as the net was slipping through his finger? I left him 12 months ago. He's upset with me. He's going to make a fool of me. He doesn't like me anymore. He's forgotten about me. What's he doing? Why did he do this whole 35-minute message thing? Okay, here it is. It's coming now. Like, is he going to, you know, I was the leader. Other guys left because of me. Like, what was he thinking as it slipped through his fingers, man? But, but look what the text says. He, he said this. Master, we have told all night. I love that because he's really honest. And we took nothing. But here it is. I asked you to underline it. But at your word. Because you said it. Because you're the one that told me to do it. Because I know I haven't been doing what you've been saying for the last 12 months, but because you're saying this right now, I I know this. I'm going to do exactly what you say. How many people think it's a good idea to do exactly what Jesus says? I'm going to do it. And so what did he do? He says, at your word, I will let down the nets. I love that. Let me ask you this. At times, obedience defies human logic. Would you agree? I mean, for him it is. It's like, hey, we've been out here. We know the lake. For us, it's the same thing. I'm supposed to forgive. I don't feel like forgiving. I don't want to forgive. You don't know how bad that person hurt me. Turn the other cheek? What are you talking about? Hey, where I grew up and what I did, like get ready and just punch the guy, okay? I mean, that's what we think. At times, obedience to God's word, to what he wants, it runs contrary to human logic. It runs contrary to what, it defies what we think we should do. It was true for Moses as he walked in, the murderer, as he walked into the palace, 
and he walked into Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go. It defied logic. Who's he? Why did he go in there? What's his voice? What he's going to get? What are they going to do to him? It was true for David as he had a slingshot in his hand and some stones and stared down Goliath. It was true, catch this one, I don't want want to mess you up too bad, but wrap your head around this for a moment. It was true for Jesus' father, Joseph, when Joseph, do you remember the story? Joseph is talking to Mary, and Mary says, I'm pregnant. He's thinking to himself, and I'm sure it's sometime he needed, he said it, but we haven't done it yet, honey. Sorry. And, And guess what? It defied human logic. She's looked at him and said, Well, I'm impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Now, who's believing that line? (laughs) But he went to bed, and the scripture says he was a righteous man. He was choosing to divorce her quietly, but the angel woke him up. The Spirit of the Lord came down, and his response defied human logic. It was true for Simon as he was letting down these nets in the middle, uh, when he knew there was no catch. Said all that to say this, true for you. It's true for you. What is the step that God is asking you to make? Obedience is doing what God wants when God wants it done with a God-honoring smile. That's obedience. And, and your comeback, your friends come back, your kids come back, your other people, anyone's comeback, it starts with letting down the nets. It starts with, at your word, I will do whatever you're asking me to do. Hey, why should I do that? I, I'm buying this for a moment. I'm, I'm thinking you're right, but what is it that's going to, why would I want to do that? Good question. Obedience creates blessing, believe it. Obedience, it doesn't just bring something. I, I've chose the carefully the wording of this point. It doesn't just bring like haphazardly happenstance. It creates You are the creator of your destiny and what's going to happen in your life. I'm not saying that it's going to be the blessing that you've asked for or that you want, but it will, obedience will bring some type of blessing on your life, on the life of other people, on the life of your church, if you do what God wants. Do you believe me? It's true. It may not all be physical. It may not be material. It may not be a huge catch of fish. But it will create some sort of blessing. We need the church, individuals, we need to believe it. Not sure if, um, do we get the pictures or not? I want to show you a picture. Do we have the pictures? Yeah, here's Jody. Let's hang on this one for a moment. So we um, spent the summer just kind of doing kind of what Johnny's doing. We did a little traveling. And so we, we did this big charter um, in, in Florida for deep sea fishing. And, you know, us and our 50 closest friends for 35 bucks. And that is a joke. And, and this is what Jody came up with, and we're all celebrating it. It's all good. And then, you know I'm going to show you mine. Look at mine. This is me. <laughs> and this is what I brought, you know, it's just like I'm pulling this thing up, and I'm just like, oh, man. And some people are saying, I don't think that looks like you. You're right. I'm just kidding around. I found that on the Internet. That, that can't be real. <laughs> I mean, wh- where does this come from? I mean, that's the biggest catfish. Okay, let's just take that down. This was the biggest catch they ever had. This was like that crazy cash fish. This was the biggest score that these fishermen ever had. It, it was unbelievable. They're thinking about the money. They're thinking about sailing it. They're thinking about, well, I don't know what they're thinking about, but this was the biggest blessing, the biggest catch of their lives. Prime the pump to say that, prime the pump 
to say this. Let me slow down. Some of us are one decision away from the biggest catch in your life. I'm not joking. You're one decision away from the biggest blessing that God wants to bring in your life. You came here today, you're listening haphazardly, you're wondering what God has for you. Some of us are one decision away from the ultimate blessing that God wants to bring. I, I believe it with my whole heart because I've experienced it. And he told you to do that. He asked you to start that thing. He asked you to stop doing that. Maybe it was five years ago. Maybe it was five days ago. But you heard from God. It was confirmed by his spirit. This is what I need to do. And you haven't taken that step of faith, a step of obedience. And that's stalling what God wants to do. How many have been around long enough to know if he asks you to do it now, he doesn't stop, and it's just going to, whether you change addresses, you change friends, you change churches, you change places, he's going to ask you to do it again. That's why the psalmist writes this. The psalmist writes, once God spoke and twice I heard it. Think about that for a moment. Once God spoke, he just needs to say it once, and it's just rattling around in your head. Anybody been there? It's just his word. You know, for Jody and I, it was quitting our jobs. It, it was me quitting my job in a sales career and, and, and starting a church, going back to seminary, going to seminary. I mean, what? My parents were like, are you crazy? Like, like what's the, I don't know what God is calling you to do, but you do. And, and whether it's to start something, maybe it's to stop something, maybe it's to lead something, maybe it's to give something. Like, like what is it? Because if you don't do it, you're not going to experience what his desire is for your life. So how do we do it? I, I'm, I, I bought, you, you, I'm, I'm buying today. How? Well, I don't want to push the text too far, but let me give you some nets I think we need to drop in order to get the catch that we want. Net number one, we'll put it up on the board, it's simply this, fear. Faith and fear do not exist together. Perfect faith extinguishes fear. Faith and fear do not go together for the Christian life. Perfect faith extinguishes fear. I remember for me when I wanted to start the church and I went back to seminary and all these decisions and, and the thing that was happening was, well, what are people going to think of me if I fail? It was fear. What are people going to say? That's what you're thinking about that decision. Well, God's asked me to do this and it's a big step. I've never really admitted this and I haven't gotten it out there. And you're afraid of failure and you're afraid of man. You're afraid of people. Second net we need to drop. Let me be really extremely sensitive. Extremely sensitive to everyone. Hurt. You're saying, I don't, it doesn't bother me, hurt. Well, that's because you don't hurt very easily. But there's some in here that it's the hurt. And let me be extremely sensitive. You have a tendency, and you know it, to play the victim card in every situation. And it's all about your hurt. And I'm just, as lovingly as I can tell you, man, you got to get over it. I've been hurt too. But, but that is causing you to be stalled 
and stuck in your walk with God? Third thing, complacency. There's only three types of Christians. I'll give you a little theology, Ron Zappia style. I like to bottom line, boil things down. There's only three types of Christians. There's the casual Christian, which comes on the weekend, comes to service, enjoys the time, maybe puts something in the plate. Maybe we'll even do this crash thing, that crazy crash thing you're doing, right? What is that thing called? The, um, cr- yeah, crash the dash. I don't understand what crash the dash is, but it sounds fun. Does it involve any kind of crashing of a vehicle? That's what I want to know. I'm just kidding. But maybe you do that once in a while, but it's really casual. It doesn't really impact the entirety of your life and your walk with God is a one-day-a-week experience, and it doesn't get into your decision-making, it doesn't get into your job, it doesn't get into your pocketbook. You keep it pretty much like this. That's the casual Christian. Second one is this, great C word. We don't use it a lot in the church. We need to get back to it. It's a biblical word. The Apostle Paul uses it, carnal Christians. How many people remember that word? Just dust it off, man. Carnal Christian. What's that mean? Well, the word, it comes from the word flesh, fleshly. So we're carnal in that we just, you know what? We have a biblical worldview and perspective because we've learned and we've been taught, but we've rejected that, and we just like to go back to the old life. We go back to the old things, and and we don't live the new life. And Jesus is clear. It's like, hey, man, guess what? It's like fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and protector of your faith, and the old is gone and the new has come. Some are living a carnal Christian lifestyle because of the choices that you're making because you're unwilling to let go of something that this world is promising you or that you're finding hope in. Third kind of Christian. Simple theology. Committed. I'm going for it. I'm going to press ahead. That's what we see Peter is right on the verge of the commitment. It's like he went backwards, and let's think about it. He went back to the familiar. He went back to what was known, fishing. He went back to his old friends. He went back to his fa- old family members. He went to, back to his old place of living. I mean, he went back to the familiar, and many of us need to come back because we've gone back to the familiar. And, and the familiar isn't that helpful. Fourth thing, if what are the nets we've got to drop? So we've got to drop the net of complacency. We've got to drop the net of um, uh, regret. And so... What's done is done. Just stop looking back. Are you the kind of person like me that you second guess the decision, you look back and you look back? It's just like, I don't, you know, I'm not saying you don't need to learn your lesson. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, um, you know, learn and there are consequences to sin, but regret is regret. Just start looking forward and, and just let go. Because why? Let me say it again. Your past, it may be an obstacle to you, it may be an obstacle to others, it is never an obstacle to God. Lastly, net to drop. This is a big one. The net of independence. The net of independence. We need to drop the net of independence. Um, I mentioned my girls already. We've got three girls, Jody and I. It's awesome. Um, you say, man, did you ever want that boy? And, you know, did you ever really want that boy? And, you know, I, I didn't really. I mean, I was okay with it. Um, but, but, you know, people used to say that all the time. And, you know, DJ's got two girls. Do you ever want that boy? Do you ever want that boy? And, no, because i got all these boys around now that I don't want. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's the issue. I got enough now. I don't, you know, really want to see any more boys, you know. And, and so, you know, I know you people all carry guns in this state. And, you know, that's what we do to who that are fathers in Illinois. So anyway, with daughters. So, but my oldest, she just graduated from Bethel University in Minneapolis. 
and she just got a job, awesome opportunity. She's working for a great big company. She's on her own now. We moved her up there over July 4th weekend. And so she's living in Minneapolis, got a great opportunity, great job. And so what I love about this thing is she's off the payroll. She's off the payroll. It's really good. She's paying her own credit card bill. And so Jody and I, we're going to start traveling now. It's going to be great. No, I'm... But if you're a parent and you're trying to get to the place with your kids, it goes from dependence. Hear me now. It's going to come full circle. It goes from dependence because they depend on you for everything. And then you're trying to get them to be independent, right, as a parent? But in God's economy, it's the exact opposite. We're independent, and what's he trying to do? He's trying to get us to be dependent upon him. He's trying to push you to the limit of risk in your life. And let me be bold enough to say it, that you have to take a step of faith that, you know what, you don't know if it's going to work out. That if this doesn't work out, you're falling flat on your face because he wants to catch you. It's the John 15, verse 5 lifestyle. Apart from me, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. It's his muscles, his strength, not yours. Christian life is like this. You're kind of like Popeye, okay? Holy Spirit is your spinach. Thought that'd go over a little better. <laughs> it's like, you know what, you're not vegan or what? Come on. I, I, I mean, that's what gives us our muscles. That's what gives us our strength. And so God wants you to depend on him through his spirit. Why? Well, blessing does something. It ignites praise. That's what blessing does. It ignites praise, so give it. Look with me at verse 8. We're rounding third base, and we're getting close to the end. Look what it says in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, saw what? Saw the catch. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What did he do? He, he just got on his knees, man. And he's like, you're holy, I'm not. He couldn't believe the blessing. It was like, I can't believe this. The blessing that he saw ignited praise. He took a look at what God had done in the midst of his circumstance, and it caused him to fall to his knees. The scripture says this in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. God's kindness in the way he blesses us when we don't deserve it. God's kindness in the ultimate act of his sending his son for us to pay the penalty of our sin. God's kindness results in blessing. It's repentance. We're seeing it right here. Blessing ignites praise. Peter's praising him, rightfully so. I'll never forget one of my youngest daughter, Emily. She broke her femur. She was in kindergarten. Femur, biggest bone in your body. Crazy. I mean... We still don't know what really happened in the basement that day. Are you hearing me? You know, the, nobody's admitting what really went down. But she broke her femur, goes to the hospital. They put her in this body cast. It's from her chest to her, you know, bottom of her knee. I mean, you know, she can barely move. She's in a wheelchair. I'm carrying her. She's in kindergarten. First night, you know, I, I, she sleeps in the wheelchair. I'm going to sleep on the couch. 2 a.m. Dad, are you awake? Yep, I'm awake now. Hey, I can move my toes. I'm like, that's awesome, man. Let's go to sleep. 2.15. Dad, are you awake? Hmm, sound, yeah, kind of. Didn't really get back last time. <laughs> Dad, I can move my arms. That's great, Em. Next, it's half an hour later. Dad, Dad, are you awake? I can move my head. 
yeah, girl, I'm thinking, you can move your mouth too. Would you just cut it, cut it out? <laughs> but you laugh. What was she doing? She was thinking about what she could do and what, not what she couldn't do in the midst of her situation. She was counting her blessings as you and I need to learn from a kindergartner that in the middle of the adversity and the trial and the difficulty, it's not about what we don't have, it's about what we do. It's about counting our blessings that we have with the Lord and blessing ignites praise. We gotta just give it. And, and blessing results in praise. Praise results, this is the bottom line of the message. Put up the next point. Praise does this. It, uh, excuse me, next point. Praise renews vision. And so that's what we see in the text. Now hang with me, you gotta own it. It renews what God's, it repaints vision. Look with me at what Jesus said. Jesus said to him in verse 10, do not be afraid, from now on you'll be catching men. He said that before. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. So here he's repainting the vision of what he wants for his life. And Peter's grabbing hold of it again. Why? Because he needed a comeback. Question, is this the last time that Peter turned his back on Jesus? No. Just to humor each other, let's slide into home. Look with me at John chapter 21. We're getting done here quickly. Look with me at John chapter 21. Um, push forward to that um, book in the Bible, that gospel. Let me set it up. Again, we've got Peter in the boat. He's in the same place. He's caught nothing. There's a man on the shore. I mean, this is unbelievable. There's a man on the shore, and he's calling out to him, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Can anyone say deja vu? He doesn't know who he is. He's not sure. I mean, they catch 153 fish. Sound familiar? Look with me at verse 15 of John chapter 21 because it's almost comical. The disciples, they didn't even want to say that it was Jesus. This is after his resurrection. They, they were eating. He just made breakfast for them and they didn't even want to say that it's him. And then Jesus takes Peter again aside for another comeback and he asks him the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than what? More than the fish, more than the friends, more than your occupation, more than your past, more than anything. I don't know what he's saying, but it's, that's what he means. And look at the answer in verse 15. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love him. He makes him verbalize it. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, I think you've been here before. You may have heard this before, but Peter did what? He rejected Jesus not once, not twice, but three times at the cross, and three times we're gonna see it. Look at verse 16. And Jesus said to him a second time, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus wants you to verbalize your love for him in the midst of your comeback. We need to say it. You'll get an opportunity to do it in a moment. But that's what he wants. Hey, that's not enough. Jesus says to him, he says, hey, tend my sheep. Third time, look at verse 17. Is this sounding familiar? He says to him, do you love me? And now, now Peter's finally, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Says it again. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What he's doing is this. He's giving his calling as for evangelism. He's giving the calling for discipleship. He's giving the calling for the Christian life. He's repainting the vision and the purpose for him, just like he wants to repeat and repaint the vision for you. 
tweet of the day, put it on the board. I think we might have it. My biggest failure is God's greatest opportunity. My, my biggest failure is God's greatest opportunity to work, God's greatest opportunity to act, God's greatest opportunity to do what I cannot. Winston Churchill said it best, success is the ability to go from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. I love that. So I'm just going to, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lose my enthusiasm in the midst of the part that I'm going to fail. So let me ask you to bow your heads. Let me ask you to have some time with God. As I invite Gray and the worship team up, they're going to sing over us and we can join them in a moment. But let's, 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 let's have some God time here. I believe this is the point where God wants to connect with you. And as the psalmist writes, once God spoke, twice I heard. I'm asking that you would hear him now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you need a comeback. And, and you've been trying and you've been going after it, and, but you're just like, I'm, I'm in a place, man, I'm just like Peter. I mean, there's a great line ahead of me that needed a comeback. I'm not alone. If that's you, heads bowed, eyes closed, just raise your hand. I need a comeback. Just raise your hand bold. I see hands going up all over the auditorium. I need a comeback. Just admit it and just confess it. And just in a moment, you're going to say in the quietness of your heart to Jesus, Jesus, I love you. Don't say it once, don't say it twice, don't, don't say it three times, don't stop. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I need to hear from you. Now, there's another group of people that are here. We started the message. This shouldn't come as a surprise. If, if you know somebody who needs a comeback and you believe God is speaking to your heart now to say, I want to help with that comeback, just raise your hand. Maybe it's a, a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's even your own spouse. Maybe the person is here. Maybe the person you invite them, they're not here. But you want to know, God, what do you want me to do with the comeback? Hands are going up all over as, what, as, as we want to be used of God. You can put your hands down. Father, I'm going to ask now that we would rejoice in the truth that we all need a comeback, that we would know it, Lord, in the spirit of our heart, that we would look at this text, that we would believe it, that in our comeback, it begins with obedience. Would you, Lord, give us the step of faith that you desire for us to take? Would you, Lord, help us to identify the act, the step of faith that, that we need to take? And, and Father, we know that obedience creates blessing, and would you allow, in the midst of my circumstance, me to believe it so that I would follow through, so that I would experience it? And Father, in a moment, as the worship team sings over us, you can respond as you feel led, that when you're ready, when you've heard from God, that you would stand to begin to sing with us because blessing ignites praise. Think about the way he's blessed you in your life and, and allow this time with heads bowed and eyes closed, Lord, would you help us to renew our commitment to you that, Lord, you have called us to be an influence in this world. You have called us to be your kids. You have called us to permeate this culture. You have called us to be a fisher of men. May we own that vision now. Lord, let us look to you. Let us learn from you. Let us grow in you. Use this time as you see fit. Respond as you feel led, I pray in Jesus' name.